0: Welcome to Our Tribe, the podcast that sits down with Jewish professionals and entrepreneurs to hear their stories, share their advice, and bear their Jewish souls. Now here's
1: your host, Rabbi Tuvia Kopstein. Welcome back to Our Tribe, the podcast. I am Tuvia Kopstein, and I will be your host today. I have a treat for you because in this episode, we sit down with Mo Rosner. Mo is the founder and the owner and the master craftsman. Of Majestics Studios, which designs custom luxury office and home furniture of wood and epoxy resin. What is epoxy resin? You're going to find out. You know what wood is. But Mo has an amazing story of how he got to this total. uh, An amazing story. That's all I could say. Totally amazing story. And you're going to love hearing about it and learning about it like I did talk about how to build a business, how to, how to make custom products and build a client base from there and, and expand into sales and marketing and all this. And he's on the beginning of his journey, really. He's done some great things already. I'm talking too much. But before we start, of course, we have to mention that it's the Podcast Fellowship that powers our tribe, the podcast. Check out the Podcast Fellowship at podcastfellowship.org. It's an international Jewish Outreach Nonprofit, which is helping Jewish young adults all over the world access their own richest heritage of Judaism by tackling the sources, understanding what is a Jewish idea, what does Judaism have to teach? What does the Torah have to teach? And discussing these ideas with local mentors, no matter where they are in the world, earning a fellowship, a generous stipend each week that they do this. Podcastfellowship.org. Check it out. Our Tribe the Podcast with Mo Rosner. Let's go. Okay, we are thrilled to be here today with the great Mo Rosner. How you doing, Mo? Thank God. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, hey, Mo, let's before we start, we have to know. Mo is short for Moshe. Moshe. Okay. That's what I thought. That's your work name, right? Yeah. There you go. Okay. So, Mo, what do you do professionally? So, I have a business
0: called Majestic Studios. And uh, I make gorgeous functional art out of live edge wood and epoxy resins. So live edge wood is historically, in the last maybe 100 years, when uh, people were cutting wood down, they would cut it to what's called dimensional lumber. So they take Black a tree. Yeah. yeah, all that kind of stuff. Or if it was a big tree, they would cut it as a square and, you know, whatever size that was, was used to do whatever. Um, In the last 10 years or so, and it's really picking up pace, um, live edge has really taken, um, I can say, becoming now mainstream. And what that means is they no longer cut it into dimensional lumber. They leave the bark and the live edge on the wood. So each piece all of a sudden takes on this unique shape and um, obviously with different wood species, each one has its own grain and each one has its own uh, unique character. So now instead of having just your same cut of square lumber,
1: you now have a unique piece of wood for your project. Mm. So they're doing this. I, mean, I want to get back to this after we hear your story, but just at the beginning, are they doing this specifically, specifically for custom furniture or they're doing it for all construction? So for now, it's custom furniture. Mm-hmm. It's you can uh, tell the you can tell the lumber yard. I, I need a couple pieces or I need a, I need the whole tree to be treated like, you know, cut up like this. You can, yes, you can, or you can go regular
0: dimensional. Okay. Um, wood sellers today are carrying both. Because some projects need a straight edge on all sides um but specifically for the epoxy resins, which is a liquid two a two uh part liquid component that mixed together and can be added all kinds of sh- colors and dyes mm. and stuff like that, and that's usually poured into the crevices of the wood and it creates this really modern touch
1: with the old school art of wood so you're wow. bringing them both together, and you're designing custom furniture for for homes and offices. Correct. Okay, got it. Okay, so now, now here's the really interesting part, and we're going to make this. Of course, what you're doing professionally is interesting. Right? <laughs> I didn't mean it's not, but um, let's talk about your story. Like, where did you start from, and how did you get to where you are today? Let's hear the whole thing. So,
0: um. As a, a young kid, I had all kinds of ambitions for big startups, specifically in the tech space. Were you, uh, as a young kid, you were in New York? Where, where did you? Start I from? was. So I grew up. I was born in Israel. Okay. Um, my family immigrated to the U.S. when I was two and a half. So, for all intents and purposes, I'm American. Um, grew up in Chicago okay. until I was 14. Moved to Postal, Iowa, when I was 15. Um. Stayed there, didn't finish yeshiva there, worked there for a little bit until I was 19. Um, moved to Australia for about six months, thinking I would go to college. I was very into film at the time, so I was going to go to film school. Uh, had some family there. Um, after about half a year, college just didn't work out, and I moved back to the States. Um, moved to New York. And then I got in touch with a good friend of mine who was opening a startup in the insurance space. I moved to Los Angeles for that. Um, after about a year and a half working there, um, we were, I guess you could say, a little ahead of our time. The technology that we have available to us today, to give you an example, something like AWS, which is Amazon's web service. Um was not around in 2011 at oh. least not not the size that it is today so you know just for servers for our app uh, cost us a quarter of a million dollars so uh, we raised about a million dollars and after about a year and a half the app kind of fell apart which was very gut-wrenching and difficult mm-hmm. um, you know moving across the country and putting in all that work into it and it didn't work which kind of led me to leave Los Angeles, um, make some big changes in my life. I went back to Yeshiva. um, And then I moved back to New York, got engaged, got married. Um, My wife was from Canada, so we moved there for about two years. And um, And then we decided to move back to the States. So we moved to Cleveland, Ohio. I had a job there in sales. Um, so I did a lot of the time and then in March of 2020, we, uh, a friend of mine approached me about opening up a business to lend, um, loans for businesses. So we opened that in March of 2020, not knowing that there was a global pandemic headed our way. Right. And about six weeks after we opened, we were forced to shut the doors. The whole industry kind of toppled on its head. And um, I was sitting at home collecting unemployment and kind of just scratching my head like, what do I do? Um, I had two boys at the time. And um, I never really worked with my hands before. I was always, you know, guy on a computer. Idea guy, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sales, tech. Design, photography, not, nothing that got really my hands dirty. Um, at the time, there was this app that was, that I kind of heard about called TikTok. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering, like, let me go check out this app and see what, what is it? How does it differ from Facebook or Instagram? And I got on the account, uh, made myself, I don't even think I made myself an account. I just kind of got on the app. And the algorithm started pushing this over and over. I started seeing these videos of these makers creating furniture and all kinds of things out of wood and resin. And I had no clue what resin was.
1: I, and you have no clue why you were getting this, why it was targeting you? Yeah, no, like there was no it's it not location like, based or something. They were trying I to. No, no idea. that's a God
0: thing. Yeah. It's a, you know, the algorithm, one of those God things. Okay. One of those God things. Um, one of the many. And, and um, I said, what is this? This is, this stuff's incredible. So I started uh going to YouTube and just researching for hours and hours, watching videos of how these people make this stuff. Mm-hmm. And I said, I, I have to do this, but I knew that I could not do it on a big Scale. I mean, these people have machinery that are hundreds of thousands of dollars. And the only way that I can do this is starting small. So I thought to myself, Hey, what better, what better way is to introduce this type of art into Judaica? Mm. So why don't I start making challah boards, which we use on Friday night and uh, Shabbat day for serving challah, and, you know, bread on the table. So I thought I would be kind of like the first guy, you know, bringing wood and resin to the Judaica space. Come to find out I was not the first guy. And there were uh, several other artists that were doing it. a lot of really cool stuff coming out of Israel. Mm -hmm. So I went and I did my research, you know, several hundred hours on YouTube and I said, okay, I'm ready to start and buy my first material. So I went to Home Depot and, just as cheap as I can find, you know, some wood, some of the tape to make the molds. Um Because I lived in Ohio, there was, there is a very large, actually, I think the largest Amish community, um not too far away from us. Right. So
1: I, drove- I was there. I was there this past summer. It was, it was beautiful. Amazing. Really? Which area? It was, uh, there was the farm at Walnut Creek. Was that, that have you been there? Walnut Creek? No. Okay.
0: So there's there's actually two communities. The largest in America is called Millersburg, Ohio, which is about an hour and a half south of Cleveland. And then there was another place called um, uh, name slipped my mind. Okay. But that was about an hour east. Uh-huh. And they had a huge warehouse there of live edge lumber um, that all kinds of people used to make. And the Amish are really, really crafty and skilled. So I'd go out there and You know, bought some pieces and um, gave it my first run. What I didn't know was after hundreds of hours of video, nobody explained that there are several types of epoxy resins. Um, Some of them are used for very thin layers to coat things. They're typically used in the boating industry. Mm Mm-hmm. So people coat boats and it creates the hard plastic finish around. So it's great for, you know, any marine stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, and then people also use it to make furniture. So the stuff making to make furniture is called deep pour resins. And the way these two chemicals bond together is through a chemical reaction that creates heat. The resin and the wood, you mean the, no, the, the, so there's the resin and there's hardener and you buy them as a set. Okay. So. I wasn't aware that how this chemical reaction works. So I go to Amazon and I see the resin. It says slow hardening or fast hardening. I'm like, well, if they're slow and fast, I'll go with fast. So, um, I finally get everything ready. This is my, this is in my basement.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And, um, my mother is the one who really got me into art and she's an artist. So she came by and she was loving it. And we were, you know, we, we mixed it all up. We, have it, everything set in the mold and mixing it. And all of a sudden the mixing cup starts to get really, really hot. And I said, Oh mom, I think it's, 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 it's the reactions happening. Let's dump it into the mold. So we dump it into the mold and it started steaming and overheating. I thought my house was going to burn down and um, it right in front of my eyes, it congealed really quickly. And then just hardened and like cracked, and I said, "Oh boy, we just did something really bad." And right there, that was like one hundred and twenty dollars flushed down the toilet. Uh, resin is very expensive, uh-huh. so I said, "Okay, let's let's try it again." I made a new order, new molds, and everything. Each mold takes about two hours to make the way I was doing it at the time. Um, and again, I did it again and figure out what going on i must have made like four or five of these things and they were all
1: just getting eaten up time and time again and i got very frustrated i took a you, stick uh, so Try just to understand. Try. i'm trying to picture it you're trying to to make the the hard the the hard plastic coating on the wooden furniture that you're designing yes so you're was, putting these two chemicals together it wasn't working for you to make the you were hoping for some kind of liquid you can paint onto it and it wasn't working it, for you. So it's basically like a mold, and yeah. you put the wood in the way you want. Yeah. And then you pour
0: the resin, which floats everywhere which should, else.
1: It should, it should spread out on an even surface and, and yeah. coat and and mold. Then okay, it gradually
0: it. dry, and then you okay. pull it out and you sand it and polish it and whatnot.
1: And that wasn't happening. It was just ruining your wood. It was just
0: reacting immediately, uh-huh. hardening and cracking. And and it just wasn't doing what I've watched on YouTube for for hours. Okay. And I just got so frustrated with it. I remember taking a, I don't remember what the tool was, but I got so angry. I just smashed the, the you know, it was the second Moses that took the stick and smashed something. And I I, I left it. I said, you know what? I- I'm out of here. I'm, I'm not doing this anymore. So I went back to the drawing board. And then one of my friends came to visit me from uh, New York that summer. And I said, hey, let me show you this. Stuff that I used to do downstairs in the basement. So I took him downstairs, and he looks at everything. He goes, "Goes, Mo, you cannot stop. You have to figure this out. Uh, no matter what, you're you're gonna make this happen." And I don't know exactly what the words were, but it it just hit me. He, he's he's also a serial entrepreneur, and um, I don't know his words were just very encouraging. Mm-hmm. And I said, "You know what, Levy."
1: I'm 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 gonna do it. So I went back, and I it said wasn't, it wasn't my friend Levy that we already interviewed. It wasn't It wasn't Levy Chayo, was it? No, no not different no. Levy. Okay, you let you interviewed Levy. Yeah, very, cool. You very cool. Watch that podcast.
0: Yeah, very very cool. I will. <laughs> okay. Um, so no, he's uh, a friend of mine who opened a barber shop in New York. Okay, and uh, he just recently opened up a chain of very unique pizza shops in Brooklyn.
1: Hmm.
0: Um, he's gonna do great. So. Those words just hit me, and I said, you know what? I'm going to do something different this time. I'm going to pour layer by layer, no matter how many it takes. didn't layer each time, and I did it, and it came out great. It wasn't very pretty, but it it, it was functional. So I used to go to the public library, and they had a whole innovation center, and I would drive there 20 minutes each way. And I got the words Shabbat Kodesh, uh, the Holy Sabbath, engraved on the bottom of this board. Uh And I I filled that little crevice in with the same color resin as the one I did. And I was really nervous to, you know, put myself out there and say, hey, guys, I'm starting a business. Like, I've never done that before. I was either working for someone else or partnering with someone else. I never had my own thing. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what it was. A lot of it actually was my wife who started a jewelry business a couple of months before that. I was very inspired by her. And I said, you know what? I'm just going to go for it. I like, what's the downside? We're in the middle of a pandemic. No one's working. Everything's up in the air. I literally have nothing to lose. So I, I, I posted on my Instagram. I said, Hey guys, you know, um, this is what I've been doing. Here's a picture of this board I made. Um, you know, reach out to me for custom orders. And within a day or two, people started reaching out and saying, hey, this stuff's really cool. And a friend of ours from Cleveland reached out to me and she said, oh, I'm having my um, 10 year anniversary. I'd like to buy my husband a personalized hollow board. Mm -hmm. So I was ecstatic. And I I worked hours and hours on this first um, board. And it just kind of snowballed from there. And then I posted the, that first one that I made that wrote Shabbat Kodesh in it. It wasn't Mm -hmm. a personalized one, but it was a, um, you know, just a standard collar board and, um, a guy from Cleveland, from uh, Pittsburgh reached out and said, I'd like to buy that. And so I packaged it up and sent it out. And I'm thinking to myself, wow, I I think, I think I'm onto something.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And, um, People really, really love the personalization and the uniqueness of it because your standard challah boards at a Judaica store are typically made in China, Thailand, Vietnam. They're standard, they're stock, nothing personal about it. And here people have an avenue to go and gift you know, new couples for their weddings or someone they're honoring at a dinner and make a really unique piece of uh, Judaica for them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that, that's special from one person to the next, just for them. And I was able to facilitate that.
1: Can I, be, before we get to the next step, can I ask a, a, a kind of mean question sure. um, you were, you were watching YouTube videos and it wasn't working for you either some, something was missing. Why didn't you reach out to somebody who was making the YouTube videos and ask them what you're, what you were missing, what information you were missing about the resin. So I
0: commented on a bunch of videos didn't really get back responses. Mm -hmm. Um, I also didn't really have like, I I knew no one who made this stuff.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, There was no, there was no apprenticing. There was, yeah, these people are not the people that are posting about their craft. They're not generally open to sharing information about, about what they're doing. I mean, they make the
0: YouTube video because they're making money off YouTube by posting it, obviously. Right. Um, So I think they were just hoping for people to sit and watch rather than ask. I I don't know. I did end up finding a gentleman on Instagram. He goes by the name of JD Customs, lives in New Jersey. And once I became friends with him, I remember one day I was having an issue with something and I shot him a question. I said, hey, JD, nice to meet you. Uh, My name is Mo. I'm from Cleveland. I just got into this. Would you help me with this particular issue? And he must have spent 30 minutes on Instagram with me, guiding me, sending me links of products that I need, mm-hmm. uh, just giving me information. And I could say, he's been my mentor ever since. I mean, I, I've gotten to the point where I kind of outgrew needing his questions, but I am so grateful to him for how supportive um, he has been throughout my wooden epoxy journey um i really my hat's off to him he's really helped me a lot okay so anyone interested
1: should check him out for sure definitely (laughs) instagram at jd customs great guy okay so now let's go back to the the you start to snowball with your custom hollow boards what happens next so i figured we need some
0: more products because you know they're pricey it's not a cheap Hala board. your typical hollowboard will be anywhere from fifty to one hundred and fifty dollars
1: for the customized one
0: no for no. at, at your Juda- for the Vietnamese one Judaica store, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah i was I started out um, at about i think one seventy five uh-huh. was my day one. My hope was to get to three fifty sell so each piece for three fifty yeah yeah and and as i as I built up my skills, I felt more confident and that's actually where we are today. Um, I'm actually looking to raise the prices a little bit. I, Throughout COVID and everything else, supply chain, I never raised my prices. Um, even though my expenses were going up, shipping was going up, I was offering free shipping on all of my orders. Um, I I chose to try to keep it um, at the same price. Um, and then I said, let's start making mezuzahs. So out of wood, out of
1: wood and resin. Mm -hmm. So my challenge with sorry, sorry, Mo, I just just don't understand. You know, I'm not I'm not the handicraft guy either. Mo, uh, wood and resin. The resin is just the coloring, right? The resin is the coating and the coloring. The the resin is the plastics. So, um, so basically,
0: the plastic once it hardens, it's pretty much the same density as wood so you sand it like wood you polish it okay not like wood because it needs a different type of um polishing mm-hmm. um but you know it, it it's very hard so you can drill right through it uh, sand it etc got it the problem with the messes that i was seeing that people were creating was there's something called a router table a router is a machine that you can hold there's bigger ones small ones but it's basically just kind of like a drill and you can put different bits inside and you could, they have all kinds of shapes. So, you know, like you'll see, if you'll find trim at the side of, uh, you know, at the bottom of the, of the wall. What they'll do is they'll take a block of wood, run it through, uh, um, a router mm-hmm. and it can form all kinds of shapes. So typically what a lot of the customizers, uh, people are doing is they take a block of wood, place it on top of the router. Mm -hmm. So here's the bit, they'll put it like here and just route out a hole in the back to put Mm -hmm. the scroll inside. Now, this creates a problem because, and then they'll use like like silicone around it and then put it on the wall. Mm -hmm. Now, according to Jewish law, we need to check the missus every so often. Now, what happens if you need to check it? Now you have to go carve your silicone off of your doorpost, Mm -hmm. take it off. Pull the scroll out, bring it to the scribe to check, and then do the same thing to put it back on.
1: Okay. So you need an easy remove
0: plug. Exactly. I didn't like that. The other issue that, that, that we faced was what happens if I want to put it outside? If people are buying a expensive, beautiful mezuzah, odds are they want scroll. to put it in the front. Uh, yeah, th- yeah, for the box, the, the holder of it. Oh, the holder. They, yeah. They want to put it outside, right? Okay. They're not going to yeah. put all of their doors with it. So in whether you live in Miami or you live in Detroit, you're getting rain and snow. How do we protect the scroll from the
1: elements? I'm sorry, you're getting snow in Miami? This is uh, a... <laughs> no, misery. we just get hurricane. Okay, there you go.
0: So, you know, the scroll, one drop of water on a scroll will completely make it not kosher. As the person facilitating the scroll boxes, I need to make sure that my customer scrolls are protected. I was dead set on making a box that was completely enclosed with a harder surface like wood or resin and drill a hole through it. And that created a challenge because you're taking a inch thick by inch wide, um, scroll and have to punch at least a half inch hole, usually five eighths inch hole into it in order to fit the scroll inside. So I played with that for about six months until I figured it out. And then I believe it was August of 2021, I launched my first line of custom Mizzizzas. Mm-hmm. And so they are typically made with olive wood from California. Beautiful, beautiful wood. Um, lots of character, um, different colors. And um, those started flying off the shelves and I was able to go to the point where I was mass producing them.
1: And so actually, that that's very interesting to me. And I think to, to our listeners, is going to be, how do you go from, how do you go from advertising? Hey, I got a, I got a to sell on Instagram to a point where you're mass producing. Like, what are the steps involved? It's, it's just repetition <laughs> of making people happy with your
0: product. And that was, um, you know, I spent a year, we launched in August of 2020. I did not launch the businesses for a year later, mm-hmm. until a year later. Um, and and, you know, and
1: what, mass producing means you have employees that are right. Are you, is that what you mean? Well, you have employees no, have no.
0: I, I mean I was mass producing them. So you were mass producing.
1: I mean, you can produce how many a day? Let's say. I mean, I can do up to like probably 50 a day. Okay. Um. But that's just that just means you go into your workshop and just just going all just out, Counting it. Yeah. Yep.
0: Um, so then I started to play with different, you know, as I got more into this industry, I started to learn about different wood species Mm -hmm. and, you know, their shades and colors. And it's, it's a world out there of all these, I mean, there's gorgeous woods. I used to know, so typically I use walnut, which grows wild pretty much in the Northeast of the U S and that's what I had access to. I said, I need something. Walnut's gorgeous. So it's a darker wood, beautiful grain. Um, but I was looking for something specifically for the mezuzahs called burls. Burls are typically what you'll get. A burl is under the tree. So the root. Uh-huh. So usually what most loggers will do is they'll cut the tree, you know, and then go chop it up. What some, a lot of, you know, uh, wood mills are doing now, sawmills, they take a tractor and they dig up the whole root and they, instead of just grinding it into wood chips, they pull the whole root out and they start slicing it. And you get this gorgeous figure and clusters, um, which is what create burls. And they're beautiful. They have a very, very unique grain to it. And then there's burls from all kinds of species. So you've got olive burls and walnut burls. And how do I spell burl? B-U-R-L. Okay. Got it. So, and and those really have the character. I mean, that's that's the secret sauce. So uh, there are no olive trees in Ohio, and there are no olive trees in uh, Pennsylvania. So I found a sawmill in California that deals with very rare species and um, got boxes of olive wood, uh, olive root burl shipped to me, Mm -hmm. and I would put them randomly inside of a mold. Pour the resin inside, so when I pull it out, it's a block. And then I'd place it inside of what's called a vise, which is a uh, basically two mm-hmm. pieces of wood or metal that can be clamped together. together. Right. They'd hold that brick in place, and then I would start making holes into the pl- into the board. And then once the holes are made, ah. so that the wood kind of holds itself, and then I would slice them into individual mezuzas, oh. and then. I added another layer, which was coating them in resin, in clear resin. Mm-hmm. So you've got the beauty of the mezuzah, the wood, the resin, and then you've got that extra layer of waterproof coating to allow the mezuzah to be outside in the harshest weather conditions while keeping the mezuzah
1: case safe
0: and the scroll safe with a little hap- cap on the bottom.
1: Do you happen to have one to show us right now? or
0: I mm-hmm. do. I do. I
1: would love okay. to show you. Let me show you. Hold on one second. Okay, sure. Mo is off his couch for all those who are listening in audio, and he's fetching a olive burl mezuzah to show the video audience, and we're very excited over here. As he doesn't have to go too far. Hey, Mo, can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
0: All right.
1: Here's back. I'm back. So, this was some of the latest ones that we did. That is gorgeous. Thank you. So you show so those that tricolor thing going on there. That's just the the natural color of the burl. That's the natural color. How wow. beautiful is that? Look at the character on some of this stuff. Ooh, very interesting uh, wooden patterns over there. Yes.
0: So this is um, cedar. Mm-hmm has the most incredible smell in the world um, it smells good
1: even after all the resin is on top of it well at this point you can 't smell it anymore okay.
0: the resin coated
1: <laughs> but natural but while you 're working on it, it smells delicious oh it 's great you 're sawing and it 's just oh mm,
0: ah. god in my face it 's great and then this black part right here is the resin <laughs> yeah I, I dyed I dyed it jet black on the back you 'll find a strip of double-sided tape so when you're ready you take this off very convenient and then the my fingernails are not
1: big enough but oh there we go There oh, you got it it's popping up on the plug and this is the cap the, plug, the cap and it goes in like this that's a five eight five eighth inch and this is five eight so
0: it's it's wide enough for a even a nice size this one happens to be bigger this is about eight and a half inches
1: mm-hmm.
0: um so this is great for like a front door you know great gift Really, really nice. And then here's another one. This one I, I kind of toyed around with. So this is made out of mahogany. And I wanted to do a very coastal vibe. So I mm. put on it a beach, like an oceanscape. How do you do that? So this is called, um, this is a different style of epoxy. So what we do is with this, here's another one. So I think these were side by side. Were they side by side? No, these were not. But pretty much what I do is the wood, this is just a plank of mahogany. Mm-hmm. I lay it flat on the table and then I put a layer of like, you know, just pour on it and kind of smear it around of a dark blue, a lighter blue and a, and a kind of like a teal greenish blue.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: I put a little layer of white and use a, um, like a heat gun or, a, mm-hmm. or a, um, air, a blow dryer to blow out the white. So for it spreads to through
1: the blue and it makes it look right. like the surface breaking the over there on the, on the, exactly. on the And then the, here's
0: the, uh-huh. the little shins on it. Mm-hmm.
1: And then. Tell us about and, the shin. I already mean, signed, might not be familiar. Why is the shin on the mezuzah? So the shin is, is the, um, so typically
0: on the back, on the, other side of the scroll we have god's name which is shin Dalad yud Mm -hmm. and um when there's a case we put the shin on there to show that if the you know if god's name isn't shown like on a you know a case like this because the scroll's inside we put this on there so um as you can see here i have different style shins which Mm -hmm. i actually make myself and i have them laser cut so i'm not stuck to stock Type shins that can make different shins for different uh, style
1: styles. Wow. Okay. And you're learning how to do all these things, you know, step by step by trial and error. All the you know Uh, laser cutting machines. trial and error, and and YouTube University. (laughs) YouTube University. Okay. Yeah. And a little bit of JD Customs. And a little bit of JD Customs. Or a lot. (laughs) Exactly. Okay. So so now so now you're mass producing muzzles and you're offering this. Did you are you building a, a you you have a site. How are you, what's your, your marketplace for, for selling your stuff? So I started out
0: with just Instagram and word of mouth, right? Um, that's word of mouth. Is that's a different app? Just kidding. (laughs) It's the best, the best app. Yeah. Um, the best reviews, the best customers, the best, everything. And you just know that you're doing something right. When you get a call saying, Hey, my friend, you know, showed me their hollow board. I'd love to get one. It's, it's such a fulfilling feeling. Um, so that I started with that. Then I ended up building a website and then I went on to Etsy.
1: Etsy was a great place. Um, Etsy a is a marketplace for, for selling any products.
0: Mostly, yeah. But it's, it's, it's geared towards custom products. Mm-hmm. Finding custom products on Amazon is very difficult. Amazon is more, you know, you buy AirPods, you know, so Apple's making millions of these. You're not going to have anyone different than your friend when you want something unique and customized
1: Etsy's really the place to go so uh, Etsy integrates that is that a, a marketplace by itself i mean you're it, people go to Etsy to buy custom artwork or furniture is that and and anybody who's who's selling that they they put their stuff available it's like like an amazon third party yeah, type of thing exactly okay, got um, it. Got it. and then your site – just curious I know people are saying that websites are kind of like falling out of favor as you know for you know, rather people are rather getting, getting their, their stuff from other, other sources, other, other apps, you know, using apps to find what they need. Or, or I, you know, I don't know exactly what I'm talking about, but as you can tell, but is, is it the, where's your traffic coming from now that you have your, your stuff set up? Uh, primarily from third party, third party, yeah. like Etsy
0: and, uh-huh. um, and Instagram is still, you know, a, a great source for it. Mm-hmm. So it's, um yeah, I mean, I can understand why people opt out of getting websites. Mm-hmm. Um, you, it, it's it's like a store. You know, you could build your brick and mortar, and you can have the most incredible products. If nobody knows you exist, you're just paying rent for no reason. So it's not going
1: to advertise. A, a site's not going to advertise itself. You got to pay exactly. to advertise the site. Exactly. And which so costs? Which, which costs? Cost of costs cost yeah. a lot, right? So you oh. have so so people. Etsy is doing the advertising for you. People are going there to look for custom stuff. Correct. Instagram. How are people finding on Instagram? That's that's with uh, if your friend likes it, then you'll then yeah. then you'll see it.
0: Yeah, then, I'm, I try to you know keep the content fresh and show people my process, which is very that's enjoyable very to watch.
1: Yeah.
0: Um. And then you know slowly but surely you know that side ends, and the the, the other side with Etsy is you know they obviously take a fee. They they it costs mm-hmm. to list your products there. Yeah. Um. But the flip side is it's a you know, humongous marketplace with lots of people looking specifically for custom products. So- We're looking
1: for custom Judaica there also.
0: They are, they yeah. are. A lot of, you know, when somebody doesn't want to buy the stock collarboard or the stock Maziza, and they're looking for something to say, hey, I thought about you, mm-hmm. but not like in a one-click Amazon type of purchase, I want you to have something unique and new and different, Etsy is usually the place that they'll go.
1: Mm-hmm. Got it. Okay. Now, tell us how you got from the custom hollow boards and the custom Azusa, and, and maybe there are other products, that you could ta- and to the, co- to the custom office furniture for homes and offices. Uh, I said office furniture. Furniture for homes and offices.
0: This is a great story. Okay. Um, so, I told you a little bit ago about the gentleman from Pittsburgh that bought the first hollow board that I ever made. Yeah. So... I heard a line a while ago, says your your friend, your client will become your friend quicker than your friend will become your client. Okay. So this story, whenever I see that line, I think of him. And every time that I would drop a new product, I, I used to make very small hollow boards. They were anywhere from 14 to 16 inches. And people were complaining that it was too small, so I bumped it up to six, to, uh, 18 and 20 inches. I dropped a new one, he ordered. I dropped a bigger one, he ordered. I dropped mezzizzas, he ordered. He I was dropped- giving them
1: out as gifts, right? He didn't have all kinds of needs for himself, right? One,
0: one was a gift.
1: Okay.
0: One was for his family.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, <laughs> then, then I went and I started to make, uh, candle trays, uh, Shabbat candle trays made out of wood and resin, and resin is actually fireproof. So it's the perfect thing to hold, um, you know, burning candles. Mm-hmm. So he bought one as a gift for his wife. Um, and then the goal was always to get into furniture. But I knew that I had, you know, with the amount of learning curve that I had on the smaller stuff, I knew I had to get to the bigger stuff. So I was in Florida last year, January, and I was at this restaurant and we only spoke via like video chat or text with this client. And one day I'm I'm walking by this table and I see him. Hmm. And I was like, is that him? And like, we locked the eyes and he's looking at me. Is that me? And we kind of, I'm like, I'm not going to bother him. He's sitting there with a bunch of business partners. I don't want to disrupt, you know, disturb him. And he turns to me, he goes, Mo? I said, Michael? He's like, hey. So he stood up and we shook hands. And I was like, wow, so nice to finally meet you in person and whatever. And he says, listen, in a couple of months, we're opening our new headquarters. He's in the uh, drug rehabilitation business. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And he's like, listen, in our new HQ, I need a table. I want a conference table with my logo inside of it. I said, wow, I like where your head's at. (laughs) I said, okay, let's, let's, let's stay in touch about this. So we followed up back and forth a couple of months. And then exactly a year ago, right before Passover, um, I get a phone call. It was actually Erev Pesach, like hours before Passover. The designer from Miami calls and she goes, Hi, I'm working with Michael's office. We're in the middle of designing the space right now. I'd like to put in the offer uh, the uh the order for the table. I'd like you to design it with me. So I sat down with her and uh you know, we spec'd out the job. What exactly they're looking for, they wanted a ten foot long by four foot wide conference table with their logo spread out
1: on pretty much a majority of the table. The logo would be the a large, one large logo that was covering the majority of the table? Yeah. Okay. So
0: I said okay. So I went to a guy who does renderings, and I gave him the specs. You know, these tables are not cheap. And I said, you know, for a client who's spending this kind of money, let's give them a preview, and as precise as possible to what the client would be receiving. 3D. What was that? A 3D preview. 3D. Correct. Okay. Okay. So we went back and forth, and I ended up delivering this rendering. And they they absolutely loved it. Mm -hmm. And so right after Passover, I started to get on the project. Now, the thing with wood is depending on the species, some species, they kind of cap out at a certain width. A walnut tree will not get to five feet wide. Almost never. Um, There's a species called monkey pod, for instance. Uh, Monkey pods get very wide and very long. They come from Costa Rica. Now, if you do happen to find it, the wider you go, it gets incredibly expensive. So if I wanted to get a 10 foot long by four foot wide single slab for this client, the wood costs alone would have been, I think, a little north of $7,000. That would just be the wood. Just the wood, yeah. So I said, I called them back. I said, hey, you know, uh, I can't meet this budget of yours if you're looking for a single thing. So I asked my Amish friends what they suggest. They said, oh, let's do something called the glue up. So what's that? They said, well, we take two pieces of wood that are about half the width that you're looking for. And let's go ahead and cut the live edges off of two of them and then glue them together. So it's exactly what we did. We went and we found a... Uh, sister slabs which means you know if, if you have the tr- a tree for instance you know s- standing like this right mm-hmm. so what they do is they cut the tree down and then they start taking out you know on a mill they start cutting it whatever mm-hmm. width let's say two inches so here's one slab there's another slab so they found sister slabs that were right next to each other okay. and then they they're it. on top of each other or right in the in, tree, like in the tree, they were right next to each other. So yeah. they have very similar grain, in
1: uh-huh. color, same character and everything. I'm they, they, yeah, sorry, that has this work. Yeah, you asked the mill to give it to a sister slabs, or they just looked through a bunch of cuts from a certain mill and they found that- this, this, I didn't this ask them, but I told okay. them
0: what the job was and they offered.
1: I said, Okay, oh, got it. It's a great <laughs> idea. So I love the Amish. They are they really are the best at what they do. They probably do. won't be watching this podcast, but uh Yeah. <laughs> They are industrious.
0: They do have a credit card machines, so when it comes okay. to taking your money, they they found the loophole. Okay, got so, it.
1: Um, they, some of them, they, I know, because when we were in Ohio, some of them only accepted cash. Correct. So, you know the so the different the, layers, so the, the more, the more modern, modern, yeah, modern. Exactly. Honest.
0: So what what they did was they cut the live edge off this slab and off this slab, and they glued them together. But the live edge on this side and on this side were still visible, so it looked like one tree one piece and Mm -hmm. it was less than half the cost. Well, so I was able to stay within the budget and then um, I had another issue. They wanted their logo inside. Now there's a giant machine called the CNC machine. And those are essentially a router that's like on a X and Y axis, huge table, about 10 feet long, and exactly four feet wide. And on top of it, there's like a little drill and you put the logo or whatever you want into the computer and it kind of just does it itself. Laser cuts. It's logo. kind of like a laser, but it's got, instead of having a head of a laser, it's the head of a drill. So it's got mm-hmm. a spinning drill bit mm-hmm. and it's able to carve out whatever it is that you want gotcha. to do.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I had access to one, but it was, it, there was panels on the side of it, metal panels at four feet. Mm-hmm. Now, when it comes to live edge, mm-hmm. you know, you've got a, a side that's kind of windy. Yeah. It means that the widest point has to be four feet. So I called the client back. I said, hey, you know, we're going to have to lose a couple of inches on the width of the table because uh, wow. that's, that's what I have access to. So they said, you sure? I said, yeah. I said, look, they said, okay, we can't lose that side. So poor epoxy on the edges so that it's a straight edge, even though they really wanted a live edge, but they said we need the table space, so do it like that. I said, okay. About a couple of days before I was gonna go take the table to the machine, I met a doctor in Cleveland who is specializes in emergency medicine. And he is an avid woodworker as a hobby this guy has made some of the most phenomenal things that I've ever seen. And here you have like a religious Jewish doctor who works for the Cleveland clinic. And he turned one of the rooms in his house into a woodworking shop. And he's got every toy that you can think of. I mean, unbelievable at the stuff that he has. He invited me over to
1: his shop and he pulls out, this, it works on two different types of tables, you would say, like the operating table. And, okay, sorry, sorry. That's my dad joke. Okay. That's, that's a great dad joke. Yes, indeed. <laughs> you can't get away from the tables. <laughs> so um
0: so he pulls out this box and inside of it, he's like, check out this toy. So what is that? He goes, This is called the Shaper Origin. It's a handheld machine that's got a router inside of it. And it pretty much replaces this giant CNC machine. And the way it does it is, is you program the, it's a machine that's about this big. Instead of it, instead of having a $50,000 CNC machine that takes up, you know, 10 feet by five feet. It's just a thing in a box. And you program the logo into it. You take this kind of funny looking domino tape. You place it on your workspace. The machine scans the workspace notices the logo and then has a screen and shows you exactly where to move your machine to perfectly cut out the logo, no matter how big. So now you're not limited to space anymore. Mm-hmm. So I immediately called the client back. I said, Hey, I found your solution. So they said, Oh, fantastic. Make our table 52 inches wide instead of 48 said, you got it. So the Amish went and they put the two slabs together and they could keep the
1: live edge. Mm-hmm. Keep the live edge. So you got, you got the edges, you know, sometimes, 50, sometimes five feet. Yeah, it uh, was high. like
0: 49 yeah. at the smallest, 52 at the biggest. So they got, got their space. They got their design. They got their look. And then I hired him to come out
1: and make this logo. So, so you had the doctor to come out and make the logo? The doctor. Yeah. He, the doctor's it, being hired for a woodworking job. Yes. Yeah, and got it. And, and here here this, it is. you hear this everybody? <laughs> okay. Good. Got it. Okay. <laughs> Yep, exactly.
0: (laughs) And he did it after 10 years of woodworking. He said this was the first time somebody hired him. He doesn't take jobs. because His stuff is so pristine. No one can afford his, no one can afford him.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. He he made a a console table that took him five years to make with some of the top woodworking methods in the world. He actually takes a week off every year and goes to woodworking school in Indiana. (laughs) So... He came out and we ended up making the logo. I think it was about seven and a half feet long by three and a half feet wide on a 10 foot by four, four and a half foot table. So it, it really spans this whole section of the table. And we routed out a hole that's about an eighth of an inch deep into the table. And then once that was done. That's the hole is the logo, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. The, okay. And then I took. Blue resin, which is the same color as this company's brand mm-hmm. and poured it into the crevice. So now the company has this giant logo matching their colors and their brand identity to their logo inside of their table. Beautiful. And it is every time I see pictures of it today, I'm <laughs> so blown away. Like I, sometimes I can't really realize that I did this, but it's, it's so stunning. And for, for the client, you know, they have, whether it's vendors or, or, or clients coming into their office and you walk into to a conference room with the company's logo inside of this beautiful, you know, piece of wood. I mean, it's a conversation piece. Nobody, mm-hmm. nobody walks in and doesn't like, whoa, what's that? You know, it's, it just pops right out in you. And that made me realize that the success I had from the Judaica side, putting people's names or wedding monograms or little messages inside of this piece of art that they get to, you know, gift somebody could also work in furniture for companies. Branding is, I mean, today it's so noisy out there with the amount of messages that you hit, that you get hit by. Um, like I heard a statistic that in the fifties, the, the mad men, the first real marketers, they realized that if a new brand or a new product comes to market, In order for a new person to be able to see it and identify with that new brand or or product, the new person, the the prospective client needs to see that ad four times for them to register. Oh, that's a new flavor of Pepsi or, oh, that's a new Chevy car. Today, that number is 18.
1: Because there's so many messages coming at you. We're just bombarded.
0: Yeah. And... I realized, in order to stand out, and whether any any industry you're in, um, you have to brand, and that's just continuously pounding out your logo and your message in front of your audience for them to, you know, identify with you and 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 like what you're doing and see the messaging behind it. And branding is everything, and I think that that is really going to help businesses.
1: That's the you're making the compelling case for custom branded branded furniture and or or products i see okay very good okay so now this this client got you into custom furniture he was my first yeah okay so now how did it did you start advertising yourself as custom furniture how'd you get into that as soon as i finished that job that's when i realized i'm onto
0: something uh-huh. and with the ability of being able to show a client a rendering of what their job will look like prior to the deliverable was very big because people are nervous. It's a new concept.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, it's, it's, it's new and, and, you know, it's new and expensive and people need to be comforted before making such a big purchase. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and, and just by the way, the, the rendering that I delivered to that client and the table that I made, you can almost not distinct between the two. I'm very proud of that. Wow. So that, that was, that was a huge thing. And once I realized that, that's when I started, you know, making way to start, you know, making sales calls and, and branding myself as being able to do this. Um, and I'm now working on actually another one for a tech company in the oil space, uh, in Texas. And they found me through Etsy and we're doing something pretty similar. Where instead of the whole table being wood, we found two thin live edge slabs with blue resin in the middle. And then I'm actually going today to carve their logo out of wood to place inside of the resin and then pouring clear resin on top of it. So it's going to be this gorgeous artistic piece with the
1: company's branding inside. Wow. And that's when, you, when you're designing this custom office furniture, it's all... Branded or it's, or it's, sometimes people just want, uh, I saw it yesterday on, on LinkedIn, it was, that was you with the teal root, uh, the tables with, was that you? Yes. That yes. It. Sometimes people <laughs> don't want branded but. and they want to keep it, you
0: know, just very classy. That teak root
1: was, oh, teak root, uh,
0: was a, a, a root of a, of a teak tree. And what they do is they pull it out of the ground and then flip it over. So the thinner side is on the bottom and then it spreads outwards acting as a base. Uh-huh. And then you can put a glass top on top of it or any yeah. type of top. And it's a gorgeous, um, table right there made out of the natural elements. It's yes, a it's... great way for designers to bring nature inside of their spaces.
1: It's beautiful. Can we, can we talk for a minute about getting your, getting your name out there and, and, and making sure that the people find you? so so is that a, is that a process that you take that you, you have that down to a science about how how to how to find clients you know potential clients going forward haven't gotten the
0: science down to that okay. um actually this week i had a pretty big monumental uh breakthrough i was having a lot of issues with instagram um and advertising my account was blocked for certain reason i was Took me almost two years to, two years to figure out what the issue was.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. And, um, finally this week, I managed to start running my first ads. So I did a, um, an ad for branded furniture to the business districts in Miami. Mm -hmm. So campaign for that. I actually, I, um, I also started making, I just made my first stender, which is like a book, um, for the synagogue, people really
1: like that. There you go. Here we go. This is somebody gave this to my uh, bar mitzvah age son very recently. It has his name. Beautiful. I'm gonna hide, cover his name here. Gorgeous. Like this. So it, people made that. This is exactly. uh, this is just uh, what is that made out of?
0: That's um, like plexiglass. Plexiglass. But you're making wooden. So I'm making wooden resin ones, and and my design is a little different, where it's a little more elevated, and it has a compartment inside with a lock, so you can store your books or your fill-in or whatever you want to put inside of it and leave it in the synagogue, knowing nothing's going to, no one's going to touch it. And it was gifted to an individual who's a big sponsor of a synagogue in Cleveland. Mm -hmm. And I etched his name inside of it and filled that with white resin. And then we also etched the uh, synagogue's logo on the bottom right side. Mm -hmm. Um, And we, and they gifted that to him. So I took that video and targeted um,
1: Lakewood with Mm -hmm with uh Stenders Like and, with a, uh, a very large community of uh of Jews, of Torah Jews that are uh in the market for that. Exactly. Like, and, <laughs> and this is very unique. It's something that I don't
0: think anybody there has seen before. Um and then uh did um a couple of challah boards um, targeted to the Jews of Brooklyn and they thank god there's there's a giant, giant community there. So gonna... anybody
1: on Instagram is gonna is any on Instagram that has certain you know location and, and s- s- fulfills your uh, search criteria are going to see this ad. Correct. Got it. Correct.
0: Um, so I'm trying to
1: I'm trying to I know there's a lot of
0: analytics. I'm new to it, literally two three days old um, on the ads, but I know the power of it and the power is magnificent. So I'm 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 very excited to tap into that um, space and be able to. Uh, find the ideal client and be able to deliver a, a beautiful product to them um,
1: in, in due time. Do you hope to build this to the point yeah. where you are on the creative side only and and you have maybe employees who are helping you with all of the marketing and the sales?
0: That is that is the goal. That's that is, the goal. Okay. Once I can leave production and be able to, um, I think I can teach the design part. I thank God I'm gifted in that space, but, I know there's many gifted and talented artists out there that it's very teachable. And I would love to pass that creative um, control over to somebody and I can work on the business and not in the business. That, that is the goal.
1: Very good. Okay. So now, Mo, we didn't talk too much about, about the Judaism, although it's all, it's all mixed in. Um, But since our audience is, uh, Young Jewish adults that are all over the world, and they're they're listening to these conversations with uh, mostly observant Jews. I know you have a perspective, and I know you have some a message to share. What would be? What's your message? Here's the the upcoming generation of young Jews are hearing you, and they want to know what's most what's Mo all about. What's his what's his spiritual message? So we talked earlier a little off camera um, about the
0: concept of emunah and which is trust and faith in God. And I feel like a, a businessman, I don't remember the exact term, but I heard this several years ago, a businessman will come face-to-face with God much more often and in much more of an intimate circumstance than anybody learning in, in yeshiva or school or, or, or even someone who works for somebody and has a guaranteed paycheck every, every week or every month. Um, getting into business is very difficult. And requires so many different things. I can one day be on the phone with a client and then, you know, going into full design mode of what they want and then, you know, leave my computer and go into my workshop and put on my earphones and my mask and my my apron and start doing that and then jump on a call with a client who's got an order or wants to make a change. You know, you're wearing so many different hats and people sometimes get very overwhelmed. It's It's a lot. My secret and I think the secret to many business owners who incorporate God into their day to day life. And 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 I mean really not like in theory or in lip service. Yeah, like really, really incorporate heart, heart God. service.
1: Not lip yeah. service. Heart where,
0: service. Where things are things are difficult and, and you turn to God and you're like, help me. You know, I need guidance. And to be able to let those reins loose, um, there's a, a beautiful book written about a thousand years ago by Rabbeinu Bachia. It's called the Shar HaBitachon, which means the gate of trust. And it's a book that was written right around the time, right after Maimonides wrote the his book about the Torah. And, and he broke it down um, to us for the first time in history on a very black and white level. This is a, allowed. This is not allowed. This is how you do this commandment. This is how you do that commandment. And Rabbeinu Bachia, kind of his reasoning for writing his book was saying, we have a hundred books about how to keep the Torah and what laws are allowed and what laws are not allowed. And following Maimonides, we have, thank God, a plethora of different routes to go in English and translated in hundreds of languages. But he said, what about, you know, all these mitzvahs, all these commandments are based on god and faith in god what is faith what is trust who can you trust how can you trust how do you trust you know all these things regarding that and he went on and wrote this phenomenal book i i i I can't say it enough how much i how much i recommend this book um there's a beautiful version on um, amazon called the gate of trust it's a white book Um, it's like $30. It'll change, it changed my life, it'll change anybody's life. And when you understand that God runs the world, God created the world, He could create anything and does create anything. He'll take care of us. He brought us into this world. He can give us our sustenance, and he does give us our sustenance. We, I was learning this a few weeks ago, we have to create a vessel for it, right? So I can't make these mezuzahs without a drill press and I can't make them without the wood. So I have to do my due diligence to buy all the things that I need in order to make these. But once I've made them, the sales is God's part. I don't have to trip up over it so much. I don't have to panic or stress because it's out of my reach. I did my part and God will do his part. And I think the more that we're able to let go, Of that and know that we do have to create the vessel for it, but know very well that it wasn't the vessel that created our success. God created our success. So it's this fine line. And it's taken me a while to figure this line out, but most people get so obsessed with the process, they forget there's a God in the world. And unfortunately, there's also some people don't care for the process thinking there's a god in the world but yes god could send you a bag of gold and drop it from the sky but that's not how god works god works where we go and make the phone call to buy the wood and buy the resin and build the shop and and do it all and we give god a space
1: to create that success for us but we have to help beautiful oh thank you encouraging me and there's amazing to learn about your your art, your craft, and how you, how you came to it and your story, how you built it up. And um, I'm, I'm curious and I'm very interested to follow your journey as you, as you grow this. And soon there'll be this, uh, what do you call it? What do you call your business, by the way? It's Majestics Studio Oh, right. you told me, right. Majestics oh, okay. with an X. Majestics, right. As Majestics becomes, it becomes an empire. Appreciate but always that. personalized. Okay, so Mo, you should have a lot of success. Thank you. And, and thank, thank you
0: for you. having me. This was, this has been really, really nice. I really appreciate it. Yeah, Thank you for sharing. It's great to get
1: to know you. And thank you for sharing your story with us. Likewise. I'm sure we'll follow up. Okay. Do well. Take care.
0: You've just listened to another great episode of Our Tribe, the podcast, brought to you by the Podcast Fellowship and hosted by Rabbi Tovia Kopstein. Tune in each week every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time to hear more great episodes of Our Tribe, the podcast. If you have any suggestions or questions, email us at podcastfellowship.org. And don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to help the tribe thrive.